0: Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another segment here on GEMS Podcast. With me today is my special guest, Brian D. Mint. And we're going to get into blockchain, and we're going to really get into the Bitcoin evangelism, some of the work that Brian is currently working on. But before we do, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Brian. Brian was the chief marketing officer for Anthem blockchain for three years and resigned in 2021 in order to focus more on Bitcoin and blockchain education. This led him to author Bitcoin Evangelism. In addition to his professional experience as an executive in the blockchain industry, he has been an entrepreneur for 14 years since the age of 22. When he started a small business with his wife, Alyssa, they have grown that into a chain of locations, a parent company that invests in small businesses, digital assets, and DeFi. Brian has been investing in Bitcoin and the wider crypto market since 2014. Wow. So he's definitely ahead of the curve, y'all. And advising entities on their digital asset strategies since 2016. So without further ado, please welcome the subject matter expert in Bitcoin and blockchain, Brian Dement.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Genesis. I really appreciate it.
0: My pleasure. So wow, Brian, you've been doing this since 2014. I didn't even know what Bitcoin was until like recently. Mm -hmm. I think it really gained traction, if I'm not wrong, around maybe like 2019, right? Is that true?
1: Yeah. 2018 and 2019, it was kind of becoming more popular. The, The price was kind of in a bear market. So it was kind of the price was a little down. There had been some excitement Uh, a year or two before Um, but when a lot of mainstream news outlets started talking about it was yeah 2018-2019 yeah
0: amazing and before we dive in because I want to give the audience a little teaser of what's to come next but I definitely also want them to connect with you on a personal level Um, so we could do that one or two ways we could do a break the ice or we could do a rapid fire 10 question game what are you in the mood for to kind of you know get the audience to know okay we know Ryan's about blockchain and Bitcoin, but what else is he about?
1: <laughs> oh man! I, so I I love this about your show that you do this, and as I listen to episodes, I'm just like I'm, I know I'm going on the show, and so I'm like so nervous. Which one do I pick? Which one do I pick? So um, I think the decisiveness is is not re- uh, is not jiving with rapid fire. So let's do icebreaker.
0: Okay, dokie. So here we go. We're breaking the ice with Brian. <laughs> So these are your options. I want you to share something crazy that you have done in your life or a fun and interesting fact about yourself, Brian.
1: Okay. So something that not a lot of people in the, at least in my my blockchain business arena know is that I was actually in two separate cage fights. I've been, I, I'm a practicing martial artist. And, uh, so i that was I. I particularly liked your last episode with Marco, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, because I I, I practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I compete in it as well. Um, but yeah, I did two cage fights um, on um, on Indian reservations where it was legal in California, and uh, they were the sketchiest venues I've ever seen. One was basically in a parking garage. The fight before me uh, my wife, my wife's a germaphobe. And so the fight before me, one of the guys got busted open with an elbow. And so he was bleeding all over the place. And after the fight, this is how sketchy it was. They cleaned up the blood with Windex. And so that was, that was their sanitation protocol was to clean up the blood with Windex. So my wife is like, Oh, Brian's about to go out there and fight on this blood. It was just, yeah, it was her nightmare. Aside from me getting beat up. Uh, that was, that was her nightmare. It was just, I was going to be rolling around in this, on this mat, this disgusting mat. So um but yeah my, my foray into that i i had studied kickboxing and muay thai for for years and uh i thought you know what i can punch and kick and do all that and i trained with some of the best fighters in the world so i felt confident i'm gonna go do a cage match where the rule set is is you know you can wrestle and do jiu and all these different things i thought i could just knock somebody out and and that was it well i both fights, I, I went out there, I'd beat the guy up on the feet, and then he would say, uh, enough of that, they would be really good wrestlers, the jiu-jitsu guys, so then they would just take me down, and since I hadn't studied jujitsu, I had no defense for what they were doing, and so I would just lose the match on points and uh, get, my, get my, my teeth kicked in, basically, so um, since then, that was, that was probably about eight years ago that I took my first fight. I'd been studying kickboxing for, you know, 10 years up to that point. After that, about eight years ago, I started full force studying Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So I train about six days a week in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I'm a brown belt now. I compete in world champion, you know, tournaments and things like that. Um, so that's definitely a passion of mine. So your last episode really resonated with me. I was getting, I was getting pumped up. I like want to go out and train right now after listening to Marco. So. <laughs>
0: Wow. That is interesting. So like a cage fight. And I don't know why, whenever you said a cage fight, the movie fist fight came into my mind (laughs) because I love comedies. And then to hear your wife be a germaphobe, is she in the medical field by any chance? No, she's
1: not. She's not. But I mean, she's, she's up there. We have a lot of nurse friends and they, they share a lot of those same uh, quirks, I guess you would say.
0: Amazing. And thank you for sharing that. Because now I'm actually going to have to say, Brian, whenever you're doing like your next fight or something, send me some footage so I can kind of check this out. Because this is actually really interesting. And I was like really into Marco's conversation because he was like all into it, pumped up. I was like, oh, this is nice. And I was like, I like fitness and stuff, but I can't do it the way my body's set up right now, y'all. Because I'm carrying a bundle of joy. (laughs) But... When I, when I drop this load, baby loading, I will definitely get back into hit and some of my other things. And I definitely want to try kickboxing or something like that, because I think it definitely helps you with um, build your stamina, really embracing that core work. And then if your core is strong, then it mitigates that those back aches and problems.
1: Absolutely. You're right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. I mean, m- martial arts is, is, is such a dynamic form of fitness. And so uh, <clears> that... What I like about it, though, because I like to go to the gym every once in a while and lift weights and that sort of thing. The problem with lifting weights or running or any of that kind of stuff is if you don't do it for six weeks, then you kind of lose all of your gains. The cool thing about martial arts, it's like learning a language. You don't do it for a little while. And, yeah, you might be kind of out of shape, but you at least learned a skill. So I, to me, that's it kind of it makes working out like a, a multi-benefit thing. So it's, it's fun. It, yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. I'll send you a link. Uh, to one of my YouTube videos or uh, a a YouTube video of one of my fights uh, after this.
0: Okay, awesome. And now we're gonna zoom on into our segment. So Bitcoin evangelism. So since you've been ahead of the curve, and you've been doing this since 2014, Brian, what influenced you to get involved in Bitcoin? Like, I know you have a background in it. But that kind of sounds foreign to some people who may like, well, what is Bitcoin? I didn't even know it was around 2014. Because it was like, some people may have said uh, maybe it was underground you know and they're like i'm not gonna put my money in something that i don't know
1: oh that's a, that's a great point so i'll just say when i got into it in 2014 i'd heard of it maybe a year or two before that on it was the, in the most random place there was a uh espn college game day saturday football and uh in the background, there was a kid holding a sign. So there was, there was commentators talking about the football game. And there's a kid in the background with a QR code. And it said, mom, send me Bitcoin. <laughs> and so this is 20, 2012 or 2013. And I think it, it probably wasn't a kid. It was probably a kid just trying to promote Bitcoin, I'm assuming. I don't think he was really asking his mom for Bitcoin. But then I read up on it. And that guy had a whole bunch of people from all over the world send him Bitcoin, and because people sent little tiny fractions, but it was all over the world, and this thing went viral. This college kid made like twenty five thousand dollars in an afternoon because people all over the world <laughs> sent him Bitcoin. And uh, I was like, "Well, that's interesting." And so, you know, that kind of prompted me to look into it a little bit. But I looked at it with a very skeptical, a very skeptical lens because, like you said, I as you as you read up on it, then. Um, you kind of you start to read stories that it's used by the underground it's used by the dark web it's used by uh, criminals and and the illicit, you know illicit activities and things like that and so then I started to say okay well this is this is for bad people this is um you know this is used for nefarious purposes and things like that so I kind of put it off for a while and then I revisited it revisited it in late 2013 I said you know what I'm gonna look at this in, through a more analytical lens I had had some serious friends that that knew about finance and they said you know what I think there's some Interesting components here. Um, and I remember the day where I had the light bulb moment go off for me in 2014. It was when I was listening to an episode of the Joe Rogan experience, and he had on this guy, Andreas Antonopoulos, who was known, they called him back then, they called him Bitcoin Jesus, because he was kind of like, he was kind of like an evangelist, kind of like what I'm, I'm doing here, just talking about Bitcoin. But he was talking to Joe Rogan about it. And one of the things that he said that clicked for me was that he said, in the history of computing science, so in the 40, 50 years of computer science up to that point, Anything that was digital, you could copy and paste it endlessly. So you go into your computer, you type in a word, and you can copy and paste it. You take a song file, you can copy and paste it. But with blockchain, it represented the first time that that we could make something digital scarce or something digital finite. And so you couldn't copy and paste that digital thing, and you couldn't replicate it endlessly. And I said, you know what? That's actually really interesting because in order for money to actually go digital, like we think we have digital money because we have Venmo or we think we have digital money because we have Cash App. All of those are, those are just IOUs sent between companies. That's not actual transfer of value. What Bitcoin represented was actual digital value. And if you're going to have actual digital value, it means that you, you shouldn't be able to copy and paste it. And so that's what the invention of Bitcoin or the invention of blockchain and Bitcoin represented. It was the first time in history you could take something digital and not copy and paste it whenever you wanted to. So this has implications for songs and NFTs and and all sorts of great things. So that was the light bulb moment for me.
0: So that was the aha. So like, now, because my background is actually supply chain and logistics and tech, and I have double minors of purchasing and OLS, which is organizational leadership and supervision. So, and I worked in oil and gas for 12 years. So whenever you think about Bitcoin, people are like, okay, what is cybersecurity? What are the risks? How do I mitigate the risks? And the fact that you said with blockchain, you can't just copy it. So that shows that there is some form of security behind it. But then for anyone who's way on the left, and they're like, okay, well, what about if the hackers can still hack that and they could decode it, decrypt it, and et cetera? So how do you protect your Bitcoin assets? And I- and don't quote me on this, but I don't know if you remember that story where the guy forgot his login for Bitcoin and they couldn't help him access his Bitcoin. So he lost all that money. Do you remember that story? I do.
1: I do. Yeah. There's, there's a few of those stories. There's some really high profile. I think, I believe that gentleman, it was something in the tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. If I, if I'm not mistaken, it was a pretty big amount. Um, yeah, that, that was pretty scary. So uh, do you remember the amount of coins that that the the guy lost in the particular story you're thinking of?
0: I can't remember, but I think it was like in the millions because it was a lot of money and apparently he was saving the money for his daughter to go to college or something. Is that the same story that yeah you're I think about?
1: so I, I I've heard that story yes and that's it's those unfortunately those are very very sad stories now I will say that that those types of stories are kind of an older story. Um, most of those things happened early in the early days of Bitcoin. And usually what it revolved around was um, in the early days, Bitcoin had no monetary value. So people that played with it were, were internet nerds and things like that. And so they might have 10,000 Bitcoin. I mean, there's stories of people that they had 7,500 Bitcoin on a hard drive and then you know, they got a new computer and then they just threw out their old computer because at the time when they threw away their computer, Bitcoin had no value and they thought it was like, okay, this is going to be nothing. And so they threw it away. Now there's actual treasure hunts, actual treasure hunts and landfills for hard drives that have, you know, 10,000 Bitcoin on them, 7,500 Bitcoin on them. So this is somewhat like, it's not super frequent, but there's some of these stories out there, people, and it's mostly revolved around people that didn't know what it was and it's not that they got hacked, it's that they were, it was some sort of um, kind of user error in the sense that um, they just threw their stuff away, not realizing what it was. And today, anybody that has Bitcoin, if you had an entire Bitcoin, you have $30,000 worth of something, you're inherently going to not probably throw that away. And today, there's just a lot more security features. It's not as simple as if you forget your password, your Bitcoin's gone forever. There would have to be a lot of fail safes that 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 fail in order for you to lose your in order for you to lose your crypto so it's not as simple as oh shoot i forgot my password and it's gone there's there's a lot of for example most people um keep their their cryptocurrencies on coinbase uh or other exchanges but coinbase is the most popular exchange it's just an online website it's kind of like an online bank account if you keep your your bitcoin on there um then it's they they have password protection and, and password backup and things like that. So for people that are new to Bitcoin, you can just hold your Bitcoin on an exchange as you become more advanced. And one of the ethos of Bitcoin is to store it yourself. You can then take it off on an exchange and store it privately yourself, but then it's really easy to create fail-safe so that you don't just lose your password. So yes, while that is true, those are usually, you know, seven or eight-year-old stories um, that that are really heartbreaking, but it's, usually some sort of user error because people didn't know what they had.
0: And thank you for addressing that. Cause I think that, whenever people hear those stories even though it may not be happening currently it just resonates with them and they're like okay that's why I don't want to do it so I always think there's myths and facts so we have to bust those myths and really give them concrete incredible information so they could be well versed because even on cash app when I was logging in to pay for some uh, to pay for some the other day it said that you could pay somebody with bitcoin and I was like oh this is new I've never seen this and I didn't know that was the Something that Cash App was doing now. So whenever you think about Bitcoin and you think about the security, so it's very secure now. And then the blockchain technology behind it, what are some other pros and pros as well as cons of tapping into the Bitcoin space based on some of the things that you teach as far as the evangelism around it, Brian?
1: That's an excellent question. And I love the way that you even mentioned Cash App because I would say one of the big innovations that's happening is... Using Bitcoin, so it's Bitcoin's actually two parts. It is a currency or a, a cryptocurrency. Some people don't think it's a currency, but they would say it's like a digital asset. So there's a digital asset component to Bitcoin, but then there's also Bitcoin as a payment network. And so they're called the same thing, but you could think of it as two things. There's Bit Network and Bitcoin, um, but they're both called Bitcoin in reality. And what Bit Network or Bitcoin Network? would mean why that's so, so profound is because I don't know if you've ever had the experience um, of trying to pay somebody when you have cash app and they have Venmo. Have you ever had that happen before? You're like, Hey, okay. I'm Absolutely.
0: Say- and then you're like with my husband. Cause he's like, Oh babe, this is not working. So I was like, okay, now I got to go download this other app. I got to link this car. And I'm like, why can't you just download this app? <laughs>
1: right you download the one that i have and then it makes it a little bit easier right and that is such a pain and i'll tell you what uh venmo and paypal i don't know if a lot of people know this but they're actually owned by the same company paypal is the parent company of venmo even as the same company you can't send a venmo payment to paypal they're they're called what we call in finance we call them silos so there's venmo and then there's paypal they don't interoperate Well, what's interesting about Bitcoin is it's like the internet, it's like a base layer. So um, with the internet, you can make your Gmail account interoperate with your your Yahoo mail account. Like I can send you a Gmail email to your Yahoo email, and it works. The early internet didn't have that though. So early email system. So if you had Gmail this is before Gmail existed, but if you had Gmail, you couldn't send an email to anybody that didn't have Gmail. You could only operate on the same network, just like you could only send a Venmo payment to anybody with Venmo. But one of the interesting innovations is these apps are starting to plug into Bitcoin as a payment rail. And so Cash App, I believe already, if not, it's going to be at some point this year, you'll be able to send Cash a Cash App payment Um, Not just another payment network, but you could actually even send a cash out payment through the Bitcoin rails to Twitter or to anybody that plugs in with the API. So it's it's an interoperating communication payment network that allows payments to flow back and forth. So you can Apple pay. This is some of these things are innovations that are being worked on. So don't go out and try to do all of this today. But these are things that are coming out this year and next year. But you'll be able to send a, an Apple Pay payment to your Twitter, and then from your Twitter to your Cash App and to your, from your Cash App to your bank account. All these things will interoperate inter, inter, as opposed to having different logins and different passwords and all these different accounts that you need to have in order to, you know, this person has Cash App, so I need to get Cash App so I can pay them. This person has Venmo. There'll be one standard. It's like the common language is, is what Bitcoin will be. It'll be like the common language for payments on the internet. And the efficiency that comes with that is incredible. And it, it, it's not just efficiency, but it means inclusivity. It means people that have these new forward-facing apps like Cash App can be involved in the financial system, but it also means that somebody in a developing na- nation that's completely unbanked right now, that they can also be plugged in uh, to a banking, uh, banking services for the first time ever. In El Salvador, there's an interesting stat. They just adopted Bitcoin last year as one of their national currencies. Before that, they had only 30% of their citizens had access to bank accounts. Uh, 70% of their, of their citizens had no access to banking, which means it's going to perpetuate poverty. I mean, if you don't have access to financial services, it's very difficult to climb the socioeconomic ladder. After one year of adopting Bitcoin, the, the country of El Salvador provided Bitcoin wallets. They said, uh, if you download this Bitcoin wallet on your phone, which a lot of Salvadorians have smartphones, but they don't have bank accounts. It's kind of interesting. They said, if you download this Bitcoin wallet, not only will we put $30 in your Bitcoin wallet, but you can start to send payments worldwide. You can do commerce and all these things. Now, 60, uh, almost 70% of their, of their citizens have financial services overnight. I mean, this is, this is something that happened really, really quickly because we have this communication network that allows them to plug into the worldwide economy.
0: That is amazing. And by doing that, it also allows those people who live down in El Salvador, they could be virtual assistants because now there is a way to pay them because so many people are outsourcing their VAs and they're not just finding them because it's cheaper to pay someone that is outside the US to be your virtual assistant. And a lot of people find them on Fiverr or Upwork. So that's really great to see the efficiencies that Bitcoin is coming along with to really create a streamlined process to really, like you mentioned, Brian, to promote that inclusivity when it comes to different payment methods. And I'm glad that you elaborated on Cash App because you actually took it deeper for me with the understanding there. So do you think currently that the monetary system will become obsolete eventually, just based on your personal opinion?
1: I think the monetary system as we know it is just going to change. I actually don't think a lot of people will even recognize what ha- what happens. We think of Bitcoin and blockchain as this thing that, it's this hill that we all need to climb, this innovation that we all need to get on board with. That's true for the early adopters. And we're still kind of in that early adopter phase. So anybody that's getting on board with it right now, you're going to kind of, you know, feel a little bit of a difference. It, it feels like you're, you know, yes, you're adopting a new technology. It's It can be clunky at times because you're learning something new. But for the late adopters, I'm talking about 10 years from now, I think the financial system is going to look similar on the outside to people. They don't they won't realize that their payments on the back end will be being sent through Bitcoin. They'll just send there's this thing in in cryptocurrency called an atomic swap. So if you want to send me U.S. dollars, but I want to receive Bitcoin, we can set up the payment so that you send you send U.S. dollars out of your account and I just receive Bitcoin. Um, And so a lot of times I think in 10 years from now, payments, whether they're U.S. dollars, or payments whether it's a bank transfer whether it's you want to send pesos whatever it is the payment rail is going to be bitcoin but people won't even realize that they're never going to hold the bitcoin they're never going to see the bitcoin they're never going to realize that that's just a back end technology the way i would equate it is when my mom goes on to her tv and turns on netflix she i think she thinks it's just cable like i don't think she recognizes that it's the internet that's streaming that service. And I think that's the way our financial system is going to change. It's people are just going to send a payment because it works and they won't recognize that what's making that happen and why it's cheaper and faster. And there's, you know, they have protections on their money and all this kind of stuff. I don't think they'll recognize, they'll even realize that what's powering that is Bitcoin, um, just in the same way that we kind of take the internet for granted now.
0: Awesome, and thank you for sharing that. And Brian, as we begin to wind down our segment, is there any question that I did not ask you where you want to share some information with the audience regarding Bitcoin and the evangelism you do in the space?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that I have a... uh, um chapter in the book called the capitalists and the communists will both be satisfied and it's a little meant to be a little sound a little inflammatory but it's true because you think at the end of the day um what do what are the not the far left and the far right but i'm talking about the average conservative and the average liberal or progressive what i think what they have in common is that they want fairness and equality and they want a level playing field for people and they want inclusivity and all these different things um, and I think we point to the same thing. I'm a I'm a I'm a libertarian. I'm a pretty conservative guy on a lot of things. But the language I use a lot of times almost sounds as if I'm at some sort of like progressive <laughs> protest or something like that. Because I do talk about inequalities in our systems and inequalities in the way that the world operates. And I think I would define those uh, maybe not in the same way that somebody like at a Black Lives Matter protest would, would define them. But I would say that there is a problem in our financial systems that do benefit some people. Um, and and uh, kind of exclude other people, and and what I would say is kind of an.
0: Uh oh, you're frozen, Brian. One second.
1: All right. Yeah. So um, yeah. So one of the things I don't have you ever heard of the term accredited investor? Have you heard of that before?
0: Yes, I have.
1: Okay. And so one of the ways that I would say that our system, you can, and this there's there's many ways, but this is just one example of it. Um, an accredited, accredited investor is somebody that has uh, an annual income of $200,000 plus per year. And there's somebody that has a net worth of a million dollars plus. So it's a pretty high threshold in, in order to be an accredited uh, an accredited investor. What an accredited investor is, is somebody that is allowed to invest in anything that they want. The rest of the regular people, if you want to call it that, they're not allowed to invest in anything. They can invest in the stock market and bonds and things like that. But some of the most lucrative investments out there in startup companies and things like that are only available to the millionaire class and above. And that's under the guise and this is the way when I say this is a systemic oppression in this regard I sound like I'm at a progressive rally right here but it's coming from a progressive and a, a conservative viewpoint a common viewpoint here is that it is a systemic oppression because it's under the guise from the government that little people regular people if they fail at an investment they're not they, they would the assumption is Regular people aren't very financially, financially wise or financially literate. And so they, we need to help them. And if that, if that investment fails, it's too risky for them. That sounds nice. But then when you think about it, what is something that the government sponsors that's in 45 of the 50 states that uh, is pretty risky? 45 of the 50 U.S. states have legalized gambling in the form of lotteries. And that's open to anybody. And that's, that doesn't enrich populations. That doesn't help people move up the socioeconomic ladder. That actually is like a form of taxation. And if you look at any of the metrics, it actually adversely affects the, the lowest of the socioeconomic ladder. Those are the people that are spending a disproportionately high amount of their income on average in, in lotteries because you buy $10 with the lottery tickets. That's not a lot for a millionaire, but $10 of lottery tickets for somebody that doesn't have a lot of money that is significant. And so they're allowed to do risky behaviors like that. But for when it comes to investing, we're prohibiting those people from investing in businesses that are more lucrative. And so that's one of the things where when you have a financially inclusive uh, system, like decentralized finance, like Bitcoin, like these decentralized systems that allow anybody to be involved with them, I think it actually grants a level playing field to the poorest among us and the richest among us. I think it's, it's it allows people to just Play on the play on the same team or on the same on the same field by the same terms, um, and so to me that's one of the most exciting things about that. I about this whole thing is that we can break down some of these barriers and we can we can do away with some of the oppressions and biases that are built up in our current system, and we can just give people financial freedom through all of this.
0: That is amazing, and thank you for sharing that, because as you were talking about it, that's really where you see the diversity, the inclusivity, the equity, and um, now the new thing is the B, which is belonging. So as we jump into our call to action segment, as we have four minutes remaining, Brian, what is your call to action for the audience?
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity. First of all, it's a pleasure talking to you. I really enjoy your show as it's just a listener. Um, What I would love everybody to do is to go to my website. I have my book um, coming out uh, May 31st. It's called Bitcoin Evangelism. On my website, you can can put your email in. If you go on my email list, that's all you have to do. You don't have to pre-order anything right now. If you're on my email list, that gets you in line for the first edition of my book. Um, so not only will you get to learn about Bitcoin, you'll get to uh, you know what are the, you'll get to learn what are the answers to common questions like is Bitcoin bad for the environment? Is Bitcoin a Ponzi scheme? All those types of questions. I'm going to answer those in depth. Um, but in the first edition of my book, and this is one of the neat things about Bitcoin, I've hidden a Bitcoin wallet worth thousand dollars inside of the book. And so the first edition is the only edition that's going to have that. And so whoever gets the book and finds those 12 words, or excuse me, those 24 words, it's a passphrase to a Bitcoin wallet. The first person that finds it gets the $1,000 Bitcoin wallet. And that's a $1,000 at today's value. So by the time you read it, by the time you read the book, the price might've gone up. It might be worth more. I don't know. But please go to, it's uh, the website is freshlymintedbooks.com, freshlymintedbooks.com. And you just put in your email. That's all you have to do. That'll get you uh, on the list for the first edition.
0: That is awesome. So y'all, the race is on for that treasure. And then Brian, how can they connect with you on social media? Where do you hang out primarily?
1: Twitter and Instagram. Those are my main two. So on Instagram, I'm at Brian.DMint. And then on Twitter, I'm at Brian t h e Mint. Those are my two two go-tos.
0: And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS Podcast. You just heard the Bitcoin evangelist, Brian Demet here on the show. So all of his contact information will be in the show notes. So make sure you read, scroll on down, tap in and go on that treasure hunt because you could win $1,000 in today's currency, which, you know, with inflation, things are rising. So it could be worth way more about time you find those 24 words. And then lastly, but not least, I want to thank each one of you for tuning in on a regular basis because if you were now ranked in the top two and a half percent, globally out of 2.8 million podcasts per www.listennotes.com. And don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. And you can see all things video by heading on over to our YouTube channel, which is at Gems with the Genesis Amaris Kemp. So until next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Go out there and find that treasure. Start you digging.